Hello everybody and welcome to the very first episode of What's the Chakkar, the flagship podcast of thechakkar.com. My name is Karan Madhok and I'm the editor and co-founder of The Chakkar. Our website is an Indian arts review. Uh, it's a celebration of India's artistic creativity where we publish reviews, profiles, essays and much more on Indian music, film, literature, theater, art, sports and more. We also publish creative work like poetry, fiction, photography, original art, etc. So check us out now at chakkar.com. This podcast is designed to be a sampler of our tastes. So over the next hour or so, I will interview a number of guests on recent trends in music, literature, and film and TV from India and abroad. In conversation today, we have Adi Manral, Kanika Jain, and Pratik Santram, and we will discuss how Indian music festivals are handling limitations from COVID. We will listen to a new song by the artist Khwab, discuss the show Mirzapur, the film Rata Keli Hai, and dive into books by Nisha Susan, Tara Westover, Isabel Wilkerson, and Frank Herbert. So strap in and let's go around the chakkar. So uh, we want to start today's uh, podcast with sort of a roundup of indie music in India, some conversation about indie music in India, and uh, we're going to listen to a, a nice new track. So just start off, I'm here with the managing director of the chakkar, uh, Adi Manral. Adi, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Karan. Doing really well. I'm quite excited with this whole series of podcasts and just, you know, talking about uh, indie music in India. Mm-hmm. So another nice platform by uh, the Chakkar. And of course, Adi, you yourself are um, like a rising indie mu- music artist. So, And you've been to so many festivals, you know, performed at so many events over the last few years yourself. So you sort of have a, a good pulse of the scene or the rising scene. Um, but of, of course, this year has been different. Uh, you yourself have been performing so much more virtually and, and so many other great artists in India who who were really at the breakthrough moment. Like I remember you writing an article for us uh, earlier this year about how this year could be, you know, like a tipping point for, for Indian music. Uh, Barack Obama himself had Pratik Kuhar on his, uh, on his playlist, right? So there was so much optimism then. And then, you know, because of the pandemic, a lot has been shelved a little bit and people are moving online. One of the things that has moved online is one of India's biggest uh, music festivals, which is the NH7 Weekender. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That it's it's happening uh, online this year, right? Virtually? Yeah, correct. Correct. Um, NH7 Weekender is going to be virtual uh, this year. Mm-hmm. They did have something, as soon as COVID started, they, they, they did come up with something, uh, some virtual events at the beginning. But this marks the main festival for them, and and they've they've been able to pull in names like Lumineers, the international band, uh, and and you know the regular big indie artists like Pratik Kuhar, another international uh, artist Raja Kumari, who's an uh, in yeah. Indian origin uh, hip hop artist, and of course uh, bands like When Chai Met Toast, and and a, a lot more. Um, just speaking about uh, opportunities and things, uh, tipping point for the Indian indie music scene. I mentioned Pratik Kuhar. Pratik Kuhar this month uh, got signed by Electra Records. Okay. Electra Records also, um, you know, manages uh, Foy Vance. I'm a big fan of Foy Vance, a singer-songwriter from Dublin, if I'm not mistaken, and Calio, uh, uh, and and the recent uh, very very famous uh, Tones and I. Um, 
came up with songs like Dance Monkey. Uh, so that's a pretty big deal for somebody from India now getting recognized internationally, trying to push it. He's all constantly been pushing himself um, in the US scene. So this is a pretty big thing for, for, for us, for, for the industry. So uh, is he going to be, he's going to be one of the headliners at uh, this year's Weekender. Now, how will Correct. they, how will they recreate that? You know, obviously the whole point of a music festival is, you know, so so uh, we covered uh, the weekender for the Chakra last year. Uh, I was in the event in Pune, um, and of course, it was like a lot, a lot of fun to to see so many artists in person, see the live shows in person. Um, a, a part of the the brilliance of this music of these festivals is the fact that you are there, right? I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. So, how do they plan to recreate that virtually? Are are, are the bands is performing from their own stages at home? Like, how 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 will this be done? Yeah, so this is uh, this is where things have turned for the whole uh, music industry. Like you, you won't be able to recreate what you were able to do um, in a setting where people could physically go to the stage and you know watch their favorite artists or or even not favorite artists, discovering artists uh, yeah. on the stage. So that element is gone now. Like you know, you really have to bring in people that uh, that people know. Like you know, guys like Pratikuar. Uh, bands like Lumineers, like, you know, you already know about them. So you can guarantee that people will be watching them from their homes. Uh, these guys would probably, the, the bands and musicians, they usually go to a, to a studio or if they have a pretty good home setup, most of them could even do it from their homes. But, but a lot of times nowadays, uh, people depend on the studios. They go to the studio and then they kind of record their, um, not record or, or live stream it from their, those, those studios because they have the equipment, but, but again, it's not, it's not the same thing. It's the closest you can get to, um, in, in times like this, uh, you have to reinvent during these times. Uh, um, I wonder how much of this is going to exist in the coming future. It has also opened the doors that, you know, this can happen just sitting at home. You can kind of uh, deliver a live, uh, live show. Um, and even the quality has kind of now over the months improved. Uh, because because you can kind of go th to a studio, uh, people are purchasing a lot of things for their home studios. Uh, you know you're 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 making sure that the sound quality improves and it has improved over the months. So so yeah, like 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 you mentioned, like things you 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 witnessed uh, a big festival in India uh, last year. Uh, you went, you attended that. It'll be very different uh, this year. You'd have to be at home. You'd have to watch it on your screen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what it looks like. You, you made such a good point about discovering, a, like the, I think the beauty of festivals like this, uh, like the weekend or any festival that has a lot of different artists, obviously weekend is the biggest one uh, in India is that, you know, so I went there as completely, you know, I hadn't even heard of, you know, I would say 70% of the artists performing. But I think the beauty of the festival was you just spend time, you walk from one place to the other, you hear something you like, you've it's, it might be someone you've never heard before. You go and watch them and all of a sudden, you're potentially you're a new fan, you know? And I think uh, that's something we're definitely going to miss. Of course, you also mentioned the positive that now anyone can sort of, you don't need a stage. I think one of the positives, people have discovered a lot more patience for uh, watching performances via Zoom, via Instagram Live as we've done a few times or as uh, however uh, the weekender will get it, will do it. So, so, but they're not the only ones. A few others are trying uh, 
uh, virtual festival. There are other ones. Like, and I also want to point out that, you know, people, uh, you know, um, NH7 Weekender is such a big uh, property in itself that for them to be able to bring in big names is quite easy. Yeah. Um, now, what the, 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 the challenge for the industry, if this stays any longer now, like uh, is, is, you know, smaller scene is uh, getting crippled. So say if I want to start a festival, I don't have the budgets of NH7 Weekender. I can't get international artists. I won't be able to get Prati Kuhar alone. So, you know, um, and so now if I can get 10 people who are unknown and if I set up a virtual uh, festival, nobody's going to come and watch it. Like nobody's going to put in time. Um, so that is the challenge there. Uh, there were lots of, uh, you know, smaller festivals coming up in the last year uh, where, where, you know, you would, you would go and discover artists like we talked about. Uh, but in the virtual scene, that is quite tricky. Now you'd have to depend on um, artists themselves uh, in, in the virtual scene where you would discover them uh, online. But through a festival, it, it's going to be tricky. But by talking about that, like um, there's a there's a festival, an ongoing festival. It's called a Festival from the Island. Uh, it's it's run by the Studio Island City in in Mumbai, and they've also kind of uh, pulled in big names. But the way they are doing all of this is that they would have an opening act, uh, which is uh, now this this whole opening act scene is curated by. Uh, um, May from Made in India. She runs another podcast. So she, because she's she's knee deep into all of this indie scene, and she is constantly discovering new artists from other parts of the country. And uh, so she has curated the opening scene for this whole uh, festival. So that gives uh, that discovery element in that in in this in this festival called the Festival from the Island. And uh, names like uh, Ankur Tiwari, Pentagram, Tejas Menon. Uh, all have uh, all have performed, and it's a pretty cool concept because they they are doing one concert every every Sunday evening. They will have a gig. They will have one of the main uh, performers and and an opening act uh, opening for them. So that's also a pretty cool concept. So we're we're watching uh, we're witnessing a lot of innovative ways of uh, yeah. you know uh, dealing with a, a, a virtual festival. So everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, and so I found that uh, quite interesting. Um, zero festivals are happening. Mm -hmm. Zero is uh, the Arunachal Pradesh uh, festival, which picked up quite a, quite a and, lot of popularity. In the and you have played years. at zero, right? I, 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 in fact, I also opened for, uh, for, for, for someone at a festival from the island in, uh, okay. for, for, that is ongoing uh, festival. But I, I, I did go to zero. Uh, I was very lucky and fortunate to get to zero in 2018, uh, beautiful place, uh, beautiful vibe. Again, a lot of people, uh, I got introduced to a lot of artists from, uh, from the Northeast scene, had no clue like this scene is so big. Like all I knew was uh, there's a place in Northeast called Shillong and bands like uh, Soulmate, the front runners, like, you know, they're the, they're the ones at the, at the front, like for, for everyone that, okay, so Soulmate is from Shillong, Shillong is the capital for for the music in the Northeast, but that wasn't it. Like, you know, at zero, like I saw like, man, there was a rapper who was rapping in Hindi in Arunachal Pradesh, like a little boy who was probably 21. I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. That's uh, yeah, that's a shame. But, but anyways, he had a massive following. He was one of the headliners and he would uh, rap in Hindi. And uh, everyone told me that uh, this, this, this guy is a YouTube star. Okay. And uh, had no clue who this guy was. And, uh, it was amazing. 
I, I, I didn't even know that uh, Arunachal Pradesh, uh, Hindi was their main language. Uh, so I was so clueless. So that this just goes to show like we're so cut off from um, not just the scene, um, mm. but, but just the general sense of what's going on in the Northeast. Yeah. But we won't get into that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so this year, how are they planning to do the Zero Festival? Will it be done? Uh, so I well? think they have a, uh, yeah, they, they're doing a virtual uh, festival mm. as well, uh, planned this year. Um, and, and I think they, they've tied up with a few uh, sponsors. Uh, I, I noticed who are probably bringing in a few artists from their countries. Uh, like, so when I say sponsor, their sponsors are probably, um, I, I, I think it's someone in UK who are, who are the collaborators or partners with them in this festival. And so they must be bringing in artists from UK. One of the artists that, that, uh, that, that you would have heard of is uh, the Tetsio sisters from, uh, from, um, from the Northeast. They've, um, they're like three or four sisters who, who sing in their regional language. Uh, they, they dress up in their uh, regional attire. So they're coming. Um, there's another, there's a thing called Amras uh, Records. They, they, they are majorly into folk music um, and, and uh, Rajasthani folk music when I say folk music. And so they have, uh, they're also participating in the Zero Festival. So all in all, they're trying to bring that vibe, um, the Zero vibe, the, the vibe of the Northeast uh, through virtual festival by bringing in these folk elements. Um, and let's see if they're able to recreate that. But again, like, you know, you, you, you mentioned in the, uh, when we were talking about NL7, like, will it be anything close to what, what we've been witnessing when, when you would have attend a festival and this might not be it, but, but let's see what they're able to do. Yeah. Um, as you said, people have to get creative. They have to get innovative, do what we can with, with what's, what's, uh, what's possible now. Right. Uh, so before we yeah. finish, Adi, um, we, we want to pick like every time we do this, do this sort of what's the chakra music part, you know, we want to pick a song or two that you've been vibing with over the past month that you, you know, like an Indian indie song that you would recommend that you want to speak about a little bit. And for this very first month, uh, you picked a song called Parchai, which is by the artist Khwab featuring uh, Raghav Mittal, who's a very well-known singer too. So uh, why did you pick this song? Tell, tell me a little bit about this track. So I'll be very honest with you. So I've been, um, so Raghav Mittal is, um, is is very popular in the indie scene he's um i follow his channels um and he's he's really supportive of the indie scene uh he's kind of taken a he's he's been quite encouraging in a lot of ways uh, during this whole scene and he's kind of used his channel to to kind of provide indie music content um and he's doing that every day like you go to his channel you go to his stories you'll find out about some other musician that uh, is playing from you know like say bangalore and you've never heard of them and Quab uh, apparently is is uh, also a big artist, but but you know I've never heard of I, I I never heard his music. I know that he did music with uh, you know like he he's collaborated with Nikhil D'Souza, came up with a few songs, but it was only through Raghav Miatel's collaboration that I uh, found out about Quab, and then I started listening to the song. It's also Raghav Miatel's uh, probably. Um, not, I wouldn't say the first um, step into the Hindi uh, uh, scene. Uh, he sings usually in English, but uh, he's he's slowly experimenting more with Hindi music, and uh, that's that's how this song. Uh, it's it's a pretty catchy tune as well. So you know, it it's it struck as as soon as I heard it. Like you know, like the the the, the song is nice. It's a different uh, style for Raghav. Um, 
and um, and and uh, and yeah, it sounds it sounds pretty good. And I I heard a little more uh, of the stuff that Kwab uh, had produced. Uh, Nishant Nagar, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, and um, and yeah, like I I I from from that song. So so yeah. Long story short, like it's it's through Raghav's uh, social media channel and his collaboration that I found out about Kwab and I started digging his music and I and I wanted to pick this song up for for our session this this today. Thanks for joining us and here is the song by Kwab uh, featuring Raghav Mittal called Pachai. Thanks. दिन के अंधेरे ही 
Okay, I think it's starting. Um, so I'm here with Kanika Jain, a contributor to the Chakkar, to talk to us about literature and books and the stuff we've been reading over the past month. Kanika, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Karam? I'm good. Thank you for joining us. You know, uh, this is the very first time we're trying this sort of new podcast thing for our uh, for the Chakkar, and you have obviously written a couple of great book reviews, and you know, you're an avid reader, so. We thought we'd reach out and uh, sort of connect over literature, connect over book, the stuff we've been reading. I think what I envision is just a medium for people to hear from us uh, about what's either what's new, but also what, you know, something that could be old that's also relevant again. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I, I want to start off with you straight away. What have you been reading over the past month? Anything that you want to share with us? Um, so I've been reading a lot because there's much to do during lockdown and um, the books I um, have, I've recently finished two books. So one of them is Educated by uh, Tara Westover okay. and the other one is uh, Nisha Susan's The Women Who Forgot to Invent Facebook, uh, mm -hmm. which is a collection of short stories. So those are the books I'll be talking about today. Do what you... about you, Karan? Oh, uh, so I'm reading uh, Cast, Isabel Wilkerson. About almost mm -hmm. about halfway through, and I finished Dune by Frank Herbert. It's like this 800-page monstrosity. <laughs> but, yeah, that looks but like a. <laughs> it, it's like an old-fashioned sci-fi novel. I mean, we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was gonna, before you start, I was gonna, just gonna ask, like, how do you choose uh, what to read? Like, do you go by, you know, I mean, okay, no, very few people actually walking into bookstores anymore. I really miss that. But. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you usually go by, okay, I'm going to walk into a bookstore and see what excites me or, or do you go by, okay, I've been hearing a lot of hype about this book and let me pick that one. Um, so, you know, back in the day when you could walk into a bookstore, <laughs> yeah, you could go to places. Yeah. yeah. When you, yeah, I would genuinely love, like, like to, you know, go to bookstores, browse a bit, um, See what catches my eye and I think you tend to um, diversify your reading habits um, a bit that way. Um, now it's just you know either recommendations from friends um, or writers I'm already following or sometimes it's you know stuff all over my Twitter timeline and if there's a lot of people talking about a book uh, I will be tempted to go pick it up. Okay. So, so uh, for Educated for example I think that's a pretty recent book right? Mm -hmm. um, not really, 2018, so not okay. very recent. Um, but yeah, Educated was a recommendation from a friend. Um, and I, it was only when I picked up the book, I realized that it's actually um, quite famous. So it's won a bunch of awards and uh, it was endorsed by Bill Gates. He got, you know, Tara Westover on his, um, he does like this video series and he invited Tara Westover for one of those. So I didn't realize how celebrated the book was until I actually picked it up. Uh, um, and and it's a memoir. It's it's about the author's personal life and mm -hmm. how she grew up, right? Why don't you tell us more about this book? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's a memoir by Tara Westover, and she's talking about uh, her life growing up in this uh, extremist, conservative Mormon family, mm -hmm. and um, you know how she how she so a bit of a context. She never has um, any formal education until. Um, age 17 when she enrolls for um, class at uh, BYU, uh, mm. a university, and, you know, she self-studies for the ACT, and it's about her journey 
into formal education and how that helps her create her own worldview and, you know, break away from um, her family's uh, views and uh, extremist beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is a, it is a very moving book um, and a very extraordinary story. It's, it's something that um, uh, we as Indians don't always think of, right? Like the, of, 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 of education in America also providing like a breakthrough to empowerment, right? We, I mean, we always think, oh, it's only in our developing nations where, where that's like a emergency necessity almost. But it seems like also in communities in uh, where, where, where she grew up, this was an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what's really remarkable uh, in this book and the way she describes empowerment mm -hmm. um, is that she talks about it as a process of self-discovery and uh, the idea that education can help you uh, create your own narrative and um, you know your own worldview and I think that's so different from what we consider in education because we think of it as a means to you know a job of, mm. of financial independence which is also a form of empowerment but um, I think somewhere along the line we do miss out on how education is so important like in other ways mm. as well in fact she's I mean that's a really beautiful quote she has but she says that it's about developing a sense of self and what you think and she views it as a mechanism for connecting and equalizing um and i think that was very very relevant to the indian context yeah no that's that's super inter interesting so so one thing about memoirs of people who are not already famous is that they have to have something in their personal story that is has to kind of like really strike whether it's like whether it's a personal story or whether it's the way they tell their story, that's to really stand out, right? Uh, I mean, you recently did another memoir you reviewed Into the Suburbs for us on the Chakar. Mm -hmm. Very different kind of memoir. But for this one in, in particular, uh, for Educated, what is it about this book that had so many people uh, like go gaga over it? The fact that Bill Gates recommended it. Like, it, again, it's a, you know, it's a very normal story, quote unquote normal story, but also it's an extraordinary story. Mm -hmm. So I think what struck people the most about the story and what was really powerful for me as well was just the narrative um you know about this woman who sort of overcame so much and like displayed so much like grit and perseverance throughout her life to you know go from being in a sort of poor religious fundamentalist family where she has like no education beyond what her parents tell her to you know self-study for the ACT, going to university to, you know, winning a scholarship to Cambridge, getting a PhD, just that transformation, which she did all on, like all by herself. Um, mm. I think that's a story that, you know, it really moves a lot of people. It, it is a, it is a very inspiring story. And the second thing that, something that really stood out to me was just the writing, how, beautiful it was and how evocative it was so mm. you know because of her upbringing um her family is very distrustful of the medical establishment um she has a very unstable childhood so there's a lot of um accidents in the book um instances of abuse instances of, uh, instances of physical injury and i would physically flinch um i would genuinely like physically react while um reading the book there were times i had to you know put it down and just um sit away for a while because um, her writing is really that powerful. So I think that's what um, made this book so popular and so famed. 
and I, I think you had also mentioned it to me earlier that they, that she also like tackles mental health issues, right? She does in a very interesting way. So um, she, we, we never really know about this, but she's just once she, you know, goes to university and um, studies a bit of psychology, she, um, she suspects her father is bipolar. And she does this whole university paper on, you know, the effect of um, the effect of mental illness on, you know, family members of, um, of those around them. And I think that's, that's an important topic that's often missed out uh, when we in the whole mental health matter because we often you know focus um, on the people who are who have certain illnesses or who have certain issues but we never really think about you know the the effect or its fallout on the people around them and how you know especially with parents how it can make for a really unstable childhood and you know with her even with her later on um her childhood does really, you know, give her anxiety. Um, she has like panic attacks when she's at university. So um, I think I, the, it was a very nuanced and a very in-depth portrayal of mental health that um, I think adds a lot to the narrative. Hmm. So what I'm going to do is that instead of uh, us uh, talking about your second book, let's talk about my book because it's also mm-hmm. nonfiction. So we'll stick with like nonfiction first and then we want to um, yeah. Yeah. So I read *Cast: The Origins of a Discontent* by Isabel Wilkerson. Anna, have you heard about this book? I have. I actually, um, it's one of those books that's being really talked about right now, right? Especially yeah. given um, given the news. Um, could you could you tell me a bit about why you picked it up? I mean, the the exact reason why you just laid out. It, it, it's been so talked about. It's been so important. I actually like heard. Uh, a conversation about it on on a different podcast and it's just really um actually i, I heard the author interviewed in different podcasts and uh, it really moved me to to hear about how she made this connection between um caste in india caste in nazi germany and caste in um like throughout american slavery and it, what she does is that she actually you know it, these are three different cases which i think you know a lot of educated people would know the the stories behind these, these issues of casting class, but she very ingeniously connects them. And she, she, she makes a kind of, this book, it makes a kind of network that I don't think we have seen done in that way before. Um, she wrote it from, you know, primarily, uh, she's an African-American woman, so she primarily wrote it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but she gives the word, I think what she, she, she does something that's very powerful. She gives the word caste, which is, I, when I hear caste, I think only India. Or you know, almost only India. I think the Hindu caste system, right? But she she borrows that word for for America too, and she borrows the word for Nazi Germany too, because she says that uh, caste is the framework upon which people put race on. You know, the caste is the original um, framework that 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 like the people who were at at a place of power used to uh, divide everybody else, right? Uh, so it's basically bringing together three like terrible practices really, and going in depth into all three. Um, whether it's, I mean, I think what I found specifically interesting about this is, is you know, how in, how in the US, it's, um, you, can, you can look at a person and decide their caste or, or the way she uses the word caste. It's, it's decided very, very closely to your skin color. Whereas in India, like she learned, she actually met a bunch of Dalit scholars in the US, she met Dalit scholars in, um, 
in India. She actually visited India. She visited Germany, uh, and she discovered that it it took a, it took a bit more nuance, you know. But but she could still see it in people's body language. She could still see in the way people interacted with each other, uh, the way they addressed each other. So it, I think, a lot of the book is this. Um, it's it's her own research in in finding uh, how people have been divided, you know, in in one way or on another. I think one of my favorite parts in this in this book is uh, she she meets a bunch of Dalit scholars in the U.S. for a conference, and as a gift, they give her a small bust of uh, Dr. Ambedkar. Uh, so later on, she's going through TSA in in the U.S. Uh, and she's stopped by a TSA agent who wants to check her bag, and the and the man who stops her is also an African American man, and he sees this bust of Dr. Ambedkar and he's like, "Who's this? Who's this person?" And she she doesn't really have the time to explain the entire history of like the Dalit movement, how important he is to this person. So all she says is, "She's like he's like the MLK Junior of of India," and like that guy's like super impressed. And I think so throughout this. Um, Book, she she makes that very clear connection between the sufferings of the Dalit community in India and of the the black community and all and the African American community in the U.S. Um, no, I I'll highly highly recommend this if you get a chance. I'll send it back to you. Uh, she won the Pulitzer Prize for her previous book, and I'm, I won't be surprised if she wins it again. Yeah, that's um, that sounds really interesting, and I think it's so relevant to um, you know the world today and you know with the black lives matter movement with um you know the dalit uprising like you know the the, the movement for dalit rights in india i i think that it's a very relevant book to read um just an additional question you you said she sort of draws these connections between caste in the us caste in germany in nazi germany and then caste in india and what do you think you know could you explain a bit more about the argument that she made um, yeah, yeah. So, so what she does is that she 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 takes eight pillars of caste. She calls them to her eight pillars. By the way, I'm only halfway through. So like uh, I'm not even finished with both, <laughs> but I've done the eight pillars part. Um. So and and by pillars she means um that, that are sort of common among all these communities. You know. Um. So so the idea of purity and pollution, for example, uh, which you know in in India the higher caste. Felt that they would get impure, and 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 by th- this by no no means is still over. We like to think that we're past it, but still aren't. There, there's still people of, you know, of higher caste who might think lower caste are impure. You know? So she says the same idea of like, for example, if if someone might not eat from the same plate as a Dalit person in India, um, similarly in the U.S. there'd be situations where, uh, not as much as they used to be, but during the time of slavery and segregation. Uh, if there's a swimming pool and and a young uh, African American kid or a black kid gets in the swimming pool, they'll have to pump out the entire water and clean the pool because they felt it had been made impure. Um, and then similarly, I think uh, the, the, how how the Nazis treated the Jewish community, I think they felt that they were impure uh, during during that particular time. So so that's one of the pillars. I think another way she talks about it is how um, all of the quote unquote upper castes. So one thing she does very interesting is that she uses the term we use in the the, the terms we use in India and applies them on the U.S. I think mm-hmm. Americans aren't used to hearing words like scheduled caste or lower caste or untouchables, mm-hmm. and these are phrases that unfortunately we as Indians are very used to. You know, whether we like it or not, it's just part of our uh, our history. But she uses those words. She uses words like untouchables and scheduled caste, and upper caste, and lower caste to talk about uh, uh, white people and black people in the U.S. too. So another another pillar is how the upper caste uh, uses violence to dehumanize lower caste. So like basically break them down, punish them for small things, 
uh, until they're subservient. So really there's a lot, it, it, it is very difficult to read at times because this is a mirror at our society. Uh, it's, a, it's a mirror at the society of, of America's history and some would say it's present. And it's definitely the mirror society of, of India's present, you know? Um, but it's difficult, but it's important, I would say. Yeah, it sounds, um, it sounds like it would be a difficult read, but it's also very, um, it seems very insightful. And I, I think, you know, the way that she's drawn these connections is very unique. I think when we talk about, when we talk about caste, we, we equate caste with race in, in a way that, you know, sort of looks at racial hierarchies and applies them to Indian society. And she's done the reverse. She's taken yeah. caste hierarchies and applied them um, to race. Um, do you think that's something she misses out, um, you know, when she's when in like equating caste with race? Do you think there's a nuance somewhere that's missed out? Um, I guess I'll be able to answer that in a few weeks. Like that, I haven't <laughs> finished it to know if she's missed out on it or not. But yes. you make a good point in the sense mm -hmm. that a lot of Indians, like, you know, we, we get away by saying, oh, we're not racist because we are all the same race. You know, mm -hmm. or, or we don't have the yeah. racial, or, or, you know, a, a lot of people might claim that. But we know that we are among the most, one of the most racist communities in the world. We just don't say, think of it ourselves in that way because we look similar. But, uh, so, so I like what she did. She flipped it. She, she, she made caste the, the perpetrator uh, so that we can't escape either. You know, we, we are also culpable to this crime of, uh, of, of making these like hierarchies among human beings. It, it, it's written very plainly and directly. And also she, she puts herself in the story quite often. So she'll talk about her own experiences going to conferences, meeting Indian scholars, um, meeting scholars of Nazi Germany, Jewish scholars, Dalit scholars. Like it's, uh, and, and, and so she places herself like, how do I look as an African-American woman in these spaces? You know, sometimes she might be the only African-American in the room and she'll talk about that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's well told. Should we shift gears a little bit? And this is going to sound like a complete, <laughs> a complete like, <laughs> like uh, there's no easy segue to, to shifting gears to fiction from this. Yeah, so this is a bit of a 180 degree flip because yeah. um, I've been reading Nisha Susan's The Women Who Forgot to Invent uh, Facebook. What a great um, title. Just th that title in itself is amazing. Yeah, it's lovely. And it's sort of, um, it's a very good indicator of how the book is written because it's, it's sort of, you know, funny and, you know, vibrant, but it's also very nuanced. So if you, if you do miss out on a word or a phrase here and there, you're, you're going to, you know, lose out on a particular nuance of the story. Um, and, you know, like the title um, sort of indicates, it is a, a book that talks about women and technology. And, um, you know, in each one of these stories, and these stories are, you know, everyday stories of um, friendship and love and, um, career troubles and heartbreak of, and in each one of them, the, the stories of women and in each one of them, technology plays a very important role. So for me, it was a really good way of, it, it was a really good exploration how, of how technology is embedded into everyday life and also in our relationships now. Um, and that's a very unique thing about this book, right? Because if you look at a lot of um, Indian literature, it's only now that we've started talking about, you know, the role that WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram or online dating play in our day-to-day -day life. It's a very um, new phenomenon. 
and then obviously because these are stories of women um there is a there is a gendered lens um through which technology is viewed so you know whether it's so there's a story about a, a woman writer getting trolled on twitter which is something unfortunately we hear about all too often there's um you know an old mother worrying about her daughter talking on the phone too much um there's this um you know there's another story about there's a couple of other stories about online dating about uh you know meeting people in chat rooms or how you know the internet gives these younger um some discretion some discretion in like planning their love lives out so these are these all these are, um so it's, mm-hmm. yeah so these are all instances from everyday life oh no i was yeah, i was all these are all in indian stories okay yeah they're all indian stories nisha susan is um yeah just um for some context so she is um an indian writer and she's um she writes this column for the for the mint and uh, she had this project called the lady singer so she's known for yeah. writing about women um and her writing is known for being really funny and really mm. um you know zesty so this um i mean yeah so this like like i've said this particular book is basic i think that's what brings the book together all these like connections between like women and this this way like technology is now embedded in our everyday life uh and i'm assuming from just knowing of like nisha's like you know just online presence in a way that i'm i'm assuming that these are like very strikingly funny also uh some of these stories oh yeah it's it's a it's a hilarious um yeah a uh, short story collection so i i would actually recommend sitting and reading them one by one okay. unfortunately i don't have that kind of sense of self control so i just sat and read it all yeah. together um but yeah they're really funny and i think what makes them even funnier is that these the women in these stories are very real mm-hmm. in a very imperfect way so um they're not always likable they're snarky they're irritating they they're, they're a bit stupid at times but they're also very unashamed and very bold in the way that they live their lives so yeah. um yeah i think this is this is you know this is a very good these are women that you would meet in everyday life um and in that sense i think this novel i mean not, not this novel this collection of short stories is one that you know written um you know for and like from the female gaze which which just makes it so lovely to read yeah uh and and are, are the are the characters and the stories are they generally in urban settings like big cities or or do they also go into like smaller towns villages and stuff like that um i would say a mix of both so she describes um so a lot of the main uh, a lot of the, the stories are in you know mumbai delhi um you know these big city settings but then she does describe um you know small town life um in south india in kerala she describes um or even you know sort of um you know the lives of migrant workers in this n- not migrant workers but the like uh, you know the lives of, like domestic help in the city and stuff so um she yeah so i i would say that it is like a good a good mix of you know different kinds of women from different walks of life just you know one of my favorite stories in in the collection is basically this um this story of a woman who gets obsessed with her um 
husband's um, late ex-wife's um, online presence. So she okay. discovers like the secret blog. And, um, you know, she just, she just reads it every, and she wants to obsessively find out more about this woman. So she just reads it every day. Um, and she becomes consumed with the idea of this woman. And it's one of my favorite stories because it's such a relative, I think, I think we've all been there. We've all like obsessively stopped someone online, but obviously this story takes it to an extreme, but you know, the way it's, the way it unfolds, the way it plays out, it's even even if it's such an extreme situation it never feels absurd it feels very natural well the great thing about online stalker stories is that we all want to think that we would never do that but we all know someone who's done it right like it's just part of <laughs> it's just part of mm-hmm. just part of like the post facebook generation yeah i feel i feel like that's the thing right so you would, I mean, sometimes the situations in these stories get really absurd and you think you would never do it. But then these are, every, you know, these are everyday characters and you, you sort of know that, you know what, you, 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 you think you're never going to do it, but you might just. You might just, that's, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. that's how realistic the characters are. Yeah, so that's Nisha Susan's, uh, the woman who forgot to invent Facebook. The, the title alone kind of has me in <laughs> because you get everything you get, you get the entire you get the stories the humor everything in that um mm-hmm. so i'll finish with the this as i said the monstrosity i've been reading uh it's called dune by frank herbert Th- this is a book that mm-hmm. uh, do you read sci-fi at all or have you heard of this book before i i go on about uh, before i get full nerd on this uh i haven't i used to read a lot of sci-fi when i was uh a, a nerdy kid. Uh, I don't read it nearly enough now, but uh, I really want to hear more about this because you mentioned it's a classic it, sci-fi it is. novel. So again, like I don't read that much sci-fi fantasy either. Maybe like one a year, but but this is considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, sci-fi novel ever written. Um, it's and it's gonna be in the news again because there's a you know there's a big budget movie movie coming out next year. Uh, by the uh, Dennis Villeneuve, the guy who made Arrival and Blade Runner, and the movie has Timothée Chalamet, it has Zendaya, so it has a bunch of like huge stars. Um, so it, 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 I'm so on the movie already. Right, like uh, Zendaya, that's it, right? <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> uh, I I think, um, and they, they have made a movie about it. So this, this novel from 1965. Uh, it's like really old. They made a movie about it in the mid 80s. It didn't do that well because it's a weird novel to make a movie out of. Like you really have to get it right. So a lot of people are skeptical whether they'll get it right or not. Um, but anyways, like it's sort of, uh, it's, it's what called, uh, I think they call it soft science fiction. And what they mean by that is it, it, it isn't really that obsessed with technology. It's obsessed more with the stories. Um, the, the technology is almost feels, it, it's, a med- it's like medieval technology mixed with uh, space in, in a way. Um, so briefly, uh, it, it, it's about this desert planet called Arrakis and it's super like, it's very in, inhabit, inhabitable. There's, there's a lack of water, but there's a very precious mineral here called the spice melange, which is like this drug that can extend life. It enhances abilities. It, it lets you, it makes you rich, gives you wonderful abilities. You know? uh, so our hero is this 15 year old boy who is like, uh, the, the son of the duke somewhere and 
and his father is going over to this desert island and uh i won't tell you like basically what happens beyond that because it will spoil people's adventures of the uh, reading and the book but really it's it's all about the adventures of this this boy paul and his uh, his his mother jessica um and and these two like they end up in this desert they they meet the people of the desert they call the freemen um he finds love there and then he gets an army together to fight against like the baron who wants to, who's, who wants to come and take over the spice of the desert so it's like it, it it i feel that it's sort of like a very eternal critique in a way of um, how humans go to places and exploit them for their own good and he wrote this story so long ago you know uh i, I think at, at that point it was already meant to be like a prescient sort of a metaphor for western countries going to the middle east for oil i think that's how the the, the desert planet was considered to be the middle east and the and the spice is oil um what i would be interested in is when they film it because one of the things that that could be potentially problematic about the story is that it's a story of you know a guy from the quote unquote west going to the, these desert people who are kind of uh, built in the book as if they're more wild and he he becomes their messiah and he leads them to like glory so it's almost like that you know the, uh, the whole idea of white savior in a way but in in space so i'll be curious to know how the movie handles it i know the movie is sort of doing a, a, a like racially blind casting in the sense they're mixing up um, like they're not they're not making all the white characters or in, in any way like that but still the idea is is the same so i'll be curious to know um, how they uh, how they address that but in terms of the, the there's a lot of lot about water shortage which is of course like an issue for the future as well but fighting for resources and oil and stuff like that um yeah and a lot of the themes in the book are taken from like because again he's he's using this planet arrakis which is called dune he's using that as a stand in for the middle east so there's there's a lot of influences of old islamic culture and even old hindu culture among um, both the uh, paul and his family and among the freemen so um, yeah and uh, i would if you're into sci-fi and you have a lot of patience i would recommend the book or just wait for the movie i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, no but i think it's really interesting how you um talk about you know at one because on one hand this book does sort of talk about a lot of very relevant issues of that time like you know the aftermath of colonialism um and this whole um idea of fighting um you know exploiting lands for their resources or you know conflict over resources but at the same time there is this very problematic notion of the white savior and you know this this othering of these certain people who are meant to be wild yeah. like to say orientalist idea of what yeah. the middle east is supposed to look like how do you um, i mean in your opinion this is purely your opinion i'm asking for how do you think you know how can we navigate issues in literature or like so like depictions in literature that are potentially problematic we're fine in that day but are potentially problematic now because this is a really big debate in you know culture and like books and tv shows and movies about how to navigate these spaces i mean you literally asked the what i consider one of the biggest questions about art in general you know the the separation of art and artist right yeah there's uh, well mm-hmm. to be fair this isn't about that much because the artist himself isn't problematic like there's not I don't know if Frank Herbert mm-hmm. has been canceled canceled that but but um uh the the idea of something not aging well I guess 
uh, between when it was written and, uh, and today. I, I'm usually okay with it because I, I think uh, you have to take into account, you know, the, the politics of the world it was written in. I, I don't mean I, I think it's fine. What I mean is I, I'm not going to go and cancel an author for something they did like 40, 50 years ago, you know? Um, I think from his perspective, from Frank Herbert's perspective, he, was, he actually thought he was being super woke in the mid 60s. He's like, hey, like this guy's going and mingling with this other race of people. And like, look at, look at how like liberal he is uh, and uh, look at how forward thinking he is. And by the way, like not to give up the story, um, the end of this novel and, and it, like it, it sort of has spawned a couple of sequels too. It actually shows the dark side of power. So the same kid, Paul, who has risen to power to become like this chosen one of these people, then, then starts to abuse his power and starts to go mad with power in a way and, and becomes kind of like, I won't say an, uh, a villain, but in a way he becomes a very like difficult hero to root for. So, so in a way, I, I, I appreciated that the author did do that too. It showed that he wasn't shown as a complete positive. Yeah, and I think that's great because a lot of, I think a lot of prob issues that people have with science fiction or fantasy is just that it, it's this binary take between like hero and villain. And yeah. it's nice to see a, a character who can embody both. Like any sci-fi book, it's, you know, it's not high literature in that sense, but it is entertaining. Uh, and I think it'll make a pretty good film. Um, so yeah, the, uh, your books were, Educated. So my books were Educated by Tara Westover and The Women Who Forgot to Invent Facebook by Nisha Susan. And my books were uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson and Bloom by Frank Herbert. Uh, yeah, we really covered all sorts of different genres here. Um, yeah, uh, just want to thank you for, for joining me for this very first time. Um, and I would, I would be curious to know what you pick up next uh, and, and, and what you read next. So. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Kanika. So I'm here with Pratik Santram, the associate editor of The Chakkar. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the just the, the new visual media that's that's uh, that we've been watching, that we've been enjoying. By that, I mean... Films, TV. We can talk about Indian films. We can talk about a bit, bit of uh, you know foreign stuff too, obviously. So uh, I guess the very first thing, Pratik, you know, that everyone in India, or I would say not everyone in India, obviously, but people are really excited about, is the second mm -hmm. season of Mirzapur, right? जो आया है, वो जाएगा भी. बस मर्जी हमारी होगी. गद्दी पे चाहे हम रहें या मुन्ना नियम सेम होगा और हम एक नया नियम ऐड कर रहे हैं मिर्जापुर की गद्दी पे बैठने वाला कभी भी नियम बदल सकता है कुट्टू पंडित वापस आ गए ऑल बिन आई थिंक बोथ यू एंड आई एंजॉयड मिर्जापुर द फर्स्ट सीजन अ लॉट स्पेशली बिकॉज़ आई थिंक इट वाज द फर्स्ट you know it was the first show to really go to our part of the country that way of movies have done it well like of course gangs yeah. of asipur is like you and i agree it's one of the greatest yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. ever made 
but uh, but for a show to do it in that way and a well produced show with so many good actors um mm. it was like a really refreshing thing to see to see the way it was and obviously with like pulp fiction now like there was a lot of the, yeah. in my review which would have written uh, it's you know it's over violent sometimes that things are kind of exaggerated sometimes but it was entertaining yeah. and what i liked a lot about it was just the um, just the language they spoke in the 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 up language that you and i are so familiar with right they got they got the nuances they got the nuances they got the small things right um yeah i mean just just to like before we even start the season 2 let me just say season 1 was i think um i'm going to say it like just to start off with season 1 i think was a better one and we can talk about why season 2 or whatever um maybe i i didn't think it was as good as season 1 but uh, you're right the language was brill- like the way it was done was brilliant uh and speaking about the actors actually obviously you know uh, people like mankaj tripathi are very respected actors uh but there were some real eye openers like for like in the when i watched the first season for the longest time i didn't recognize ali fazal yeah i didn't yeah. recognize you know? uh and then i was like no hold on hold on this guy i know this guy he's just bulked yeah. up a lot yeah. uh but like uh, you know uh, what's his name uh, vikrant masi uh he's vikrant right uh uh the younger brother uh, or uh, devyendu the guy from pyar ka manchnama you know guys we we never thought about was was such brilliant actor and of course whole cast actually was was brilliant i think um, even in season 2 i mean uh, all those who were there but, yeah hey, so so yeah I, mean, i i was just saying that I, there was a novelty factor to season 1 and i think that's the reason why the hype was so much i, I feel i also feel the same I, i don't think season 2 was as well written as season 1 but also mm-hmm. i think part of the reason why we may feel it's overall a slightly worse pro- and i mean it was still very entertaining let's get that out of the way it yes, was super yeah, entertaining yeah. i i watched it in just over a few days um for those of you who haven't seen um i guess if you haven't seen mirzapur i'll, I'll just let, the, the the story is mirzapur is a real small town in purvanchal area east up and the story is about uh, a, a family of gangsters led by akhanda tripathi right that's the last name akhanda yeah. tripathi yeah, yeah, yeah. who's a, who goes back uh, kalin bhaiya who's a carpet trader by day but that's really the front he's uh, he's just i think they sell guns and drugs and all that stuff but, yeah, yeah. and they um, basically long story short the se- the season one ends when um, guddu and golu uh, th- their loved ones are both killed by munna who is the heir to the throne of uh, what is called the bahubali position basically yeah. the throne of um, mirzapur right so guddu and golu yeah. spend season 2 in like the entire season is their story of revenge but it's also ent- like the i saw it very framed very much like a game of thrones right they were so inspired by yeah. ye kursi hai this is the throne and every yeah. the people from jonpur wants it wants this throne a uh, guddu wants this yeah. throne there's like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. influence of lucknow from the throne there's also like influence of mau from on you know so like and of course the zone sun uh, uh, akhanda zone sun is, Munna, is, is yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of thirsting for this throne himself so yeah so in that sense i i i like the sort of direction of the season hmm. um but it was just so game of thrones inspired even the way uh, important characters just killed off sometimes you know it is yeah, the yeah, value yeah. of it the body count is insane <laughs> in like every every episode of mirzapur um so, so so that was my did you also see that like uh, when you compare the second season to the first season did you see that real game of thrones like shift 
so i didn't compare it directly with game of thrones but yeah definitely like the it got a little bigger mm-hmm. uh for me the problem actually i i mean still again as you said it's still very entertaining mm-hmm. it is still i would actually say like the writing yes may not have been this, up to the same level but it wasn't bad at all like the story goes along very well mm-hmm. it was a small things you know it was like um and this is where the language thing comes in i think season 1 they nailed it completely nailed it but in season 2 it sometimes seemed a little forced uh for example you know the the the, the uh without giving away too much uh there's a new female character who's supposed to be the daughter of a chief minister mm-hmm. right now when they speak in public they don't say things like hum hum kare the uh-huh. they don't do that they 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 modulate their uh, sort of uh, they, they'll probably do it when they're sitting with somebody like they know each other uh, somebody personally I but mean, they won't do it in public there's a scene where so, munna in public tells her that that you would look better without the white sari or so and it's like it's it just it made me cringe you know like that just it, that was <laughs> so it's just small things plus like some of the funnier scenes had like the slapstick kind of uh, music going on in the background uh, some of the music i actually had a lot of issues with that even though i mean i, I think that these things really matter Mm-hmm. is things like uh, the background score uh, things like it just felt a little more cheap and a little more commercial um so i think they were trying to go for the masses yeah. but uh, okay. just to make it like a little more uh, viewer friendly i guess i don't know but think, uh, yeah but that's a, that's a good observation they the first season they were trying to make it was still as i said it's pulp fiction it was still a pulp fiction story but i yeah. think they were trying to be a little bit more like i don't know try to have a little little bit higher iq in the story i guess correct correct uh, again i think this one is just more straight up or tarantino esque but, but not in but not with the smart dialogue of tarantino i mean in just the story wise yeah um yeah uh, and i must say like yeah sorry and and i, and I was going to say uh, uh, of the dialogue i what i wrote in my review was that i think they were they were going for the memes i think they were trying to say things that would make for yes. interesting memes yes. more than things that obviously make sense um yeah. i think if you reframe it like that i think if you stop seeing it in the frame of how we expected it to be from season 1 you you might come a little bit disappointed or you might think it's overrated um mm. but at this, but but if you see it in the new frame of th- this is meant to be um, a a mass entertainer kind of Thing. but but mass entertainer but but strictly very adult like if, if very, uh, really very uh, nobody at date for the english <laughs> uh, not for the squeamish like not, yeah. uh, not but yeah i mean with your parents in the room <laughs> yeah probably yeah uh, definitely not my mom no um but uh, I, one thing i have to say like and this is like uh, i think the standout performer i know that divyendu is being said like very layered performance around but the standout performer for me was ali fazal again like he is and i think there wasn't enough of him like even though the sto- there was a lot of story revolving around him but because i think so many new characters were mm-hmm. uh introduced which was okay mm-hmm. that that's that's how i guess the uh, story evolves mm-hmm. but his his i mean just his just his the language he uses the way he says things you know i think we spoke about season 1 also like this when we we first like discussed it it is he's he's got that down i think number one he is from that area so he kind of knows but the, the way he like you know the, the, the his his teeth clench and then mm-hmm. his his voice gets higher when he swears uh <laughs> it's a very very natural thing is a very very upy thing to do he um 
I was very impressed by because he has mastered the art of being l- looking like because he's well built in the show. The whole point is he's like basically the strongest guy. He, you know, but and, and you normally won't. You know, you, I, I think the cliche is you you are either built like an Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of actor or you're a Robert De Niro kind of actor. You know, you're. It's very yeah. rare when you can be both. When you can be both, someone yeah, who, yeah. Who, who's well built but who's also. Uh, has got so much emotion in him and he did a good job. Yeah. For me, I would say my favorite is actually Golu. I think Shweta Tripathi. Yeah. She yeah, was, I, I, I found her just absolutely excellent in this series. I think she, she was able to convey so much without speaking so much. They, like, mm. I think with her eyes, I think she, she was like a react, reaction, uh, reaction acting in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I would say just before, like, the final thing I would say about this show is uh, Divyendu's character, Munna. I mm-hmm. he was my personal favorite character actually. In season yeah. one, I thought he was very one-tone villain. Like he was basically, yeah. we know who to hate. It's him. He's just the worst person. Yeah. You know, he's uh he's like that. He's like that uh, spoiled child in Game of Thrones. You know, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah. Um, Joffrey. Joffrey. He was basically Joffrey, now. But in this yeah. one, like we do see layers of nuance and layers of complexity, and I think he evolves more than any other character, uh, while yeah. remaining really hateable. <laughs> it's uh i think it's a very balancing act so yeah uh, uh kudos to maybe not the actor as much but the character is what i really enjoyed character yeah, yeah. hateable but relatable like it's yeah, very, yeah 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 hateable so um I, where would you put this before we move on uh, to yeah. the next where would you put it on the scale of um ott shows in india i don't mean just the second season so far the the the, so the, the package of mirzapur uh, in mm-hmm. when you compare me compared to other shows like Sacred Games or Patal Lok or uh, similar shows like that, uh, yeah. where would you put this one? I I mean season one I I actually said that I think this was uh, the best TV sh- I mean the best uh, OTT uh, show out there especially with crime uh, given that there have been brilliant brilliant uh, shows like Patal Lok and uh, uh, season one of Sacred Games. Um, I don't know, man. Like, uh, I think with season two, they became a little more, uh, the, as we said, you know, it, it came down a little bit. But I would still call it, I would say, probably the second or the third best show around. And there are many. I mean, that's the thing. Like, there are many platforms which I don't think we, we even considered uh, just now. But there, there are. But as far as what I have seen, I would say, like, probably number two. Uh, yeah, we definitely point for choice now. Last few years, the, the way the, the production value of these TV shows are going. Um, just, so, uh, sorry, just just one yeah. last last thing about Mizapur. Mm-hmm. I w- I just want to say one standout scene, mm-hmm. and that is uh, that is when uh, it's this guy, uh, the guy who's uh, Rati Shankar's son. I'm talking oh, uh, Sharad, 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 and and Vijay Verma, the the actor, mm-hmm. when they're sitting and just having uh, they're just drinking together, mm-hmm. and then they're having this conversation. It's, it's a funny scene. Yes, yes. I I think it's the standout scene. It's not yeah. anything. Nothing great happens in the story. It's just a great, great scene. That scene is uh, so basically it's it's Munna's character, Sharat's character, who's from Jonpur, and it's yeah. uh, the character in Bihar, right? Vijay uh, Verma, one of the brothers in Bihar, and they are just there. They are basically I I have seen that conversation among UP and Bihari friends all my life, where you are exactly. Yeah, exactly. insulting your friends, family, parents, wife, <laughs> and you're drinking, and it's and you're about to beat each other up, but you but you don't because like don't, you, don't, yeah, yeah. you don't know how far someone has taken it too far. So 
I agree. Yeah, That's one of the funnier sh- uh, sh- <laughs> scenes in the show. Um, so Pratik, moving on. Um, mm-hmm. We'll let's talk about you know um, again. Uh, so many uh, new films have come out since we have all been in lockdown. This is all we do. We watch films at home yeah. now. No one goes out anymore. So I want to talk yeah. about a film that that came out. Actually, now it's been a while, but you know, mm-hmm. I think the way I want to frame this podcast is that we don't necessarily want to talk about the things that are current. We want to talk about things that that made us think a lot. You know. Uh, yeah, correct. One of the films that I think made, uh, I, I, well, you know, was at least interesting. I, I won't say it was great. Was Ratha Keli hai? Ratha Keli hai came yeah. about a month ago, two months ago, something like that. Who even knows yeah. the value of time? I think longer actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that time um, is. It, it was framed as the Indian version of um, what movie am I thinking of? Um, uh, there was a murder mystery movie recently that Ratha yeah. Keli had was was framed as an Indian version of. Um, oh, I, I, uh, I'll look for that, but why don't you tell me uh, straight up, like, what was your opinion of this film? Um, sure. So, I mean, yeah. so I mean, people who haven't watched it, it's a, it's a movie. It's set in Kanpur. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though most of the shooting is in Lucknow, so that I have a very special connection with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a murder mystery. It's actually that's one of the reasons why I liked it. It's pretty much a straight up murder mystery. Nice. Of course. Uh, that's the movie I was thinking of. Nice Nice oh, okay. yeah. yeah, it's been compared. Nice but but obviously it's beyond its initial uh, conceit. It's way different later on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's got it's got a very very simple. I mean, it it gets a little more compl- uh, complex and it's got lots of complexities within the characters. But generally, it's a very classic sort of murder mystery. You know, mm-hmm. a big house, somebody gets killed. Who's done it? There are lots of players involved. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, sort of setup, you know, it's like um, uh, a murder on the Orient type of mm-hmm. type of uh, mm-hmm. thing because everyone's got a reason to. I mean, it's not it's not murder on the Orient. Just just to. I mean, everyone is but, suspecting everybody else. Exactly, mm-hmm. everyone's a suspect. Everyone's mm-hmm. got uh, mm-hmm. equal uh, amount of reasons to murder that person. But uh, what for me was not was big number one because it was simple. It wasn't. It didn't try to do too much, mm-hmm. um, and of course, it had. A brilliant star cast uh, led by Nawazdeen and mm-hmm. uh, Radhika Apte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it was just one of those films which I just enjoyed watching. It wasn't mm-hmm. anything. Honestly, like it, people are not going to remember this film. I don't think people are going to remember this film mm-hmm. after like a year or two. Mm-hmm. But again, brilliant, brilliant film. Like uh, just in the simplicity of it. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree. I think my issue with it was, and and this is my issue with a lot of films which are. Um, but you can tell that the writing, um, that the writing crew behind it or the writers behind it are obviously like very smart people who have put a lot of thought into the story, is that they yeah. they they don't know how to edit the stories. It it just goes yeah. on and on. It becomes a bit too long. They it becomes yeah. over convoluted with, uh, with, with with a lot of scenes that could be cut or shortened. You know, um, mm. but yeah, the, the 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 twist in the end or basically the reveals in the end is is eventually worth the wait. Uh, I just yeah. I just wish that the wait was a bit shorter. Nimazuddin Siddiqui is obviously um, amazing in everything he does. Yeah. Now, there's this one section where there's just a song playing in the background. It's a whole song mm-hmm. that plays in the background while he's doing some detective work. But it's so annoying and it's a very... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree. Like the editing, I think, was could have been a little tighter. Uh, because they're trying to basically... Re- they're going to try to show in like a story or a novel in like mm-hmm. film form, which doesn't always work. 
I do love the idea of a murder at a shadi, you know, and uh, yeah. and it's just it's something that's so obvious, but I don't think it has been done well. In, in I mean, yeah. you know, especially with our like, with our Indian culture, everything is, everything revolves around shadi. Like, there's so much people mm. plan for shadis for years, whether it's your own or your cousins or your friends or the next generation. There's always a shadi on the horizon, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and yet there's so few like interesting um, stories. Like that. I, I wish there's a bit more humor to this, to Ratha Keli here. I, I wish this was a, a sort of a lighter story. I, I, like again, um, if you if you see Knives Out, it I think Knives Out gets that perfect. It, it's a murder mystery, but it it's filled with just enough moment of lightness and humor that like mm. ma- makes you sort of smirk a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah, I wish, I wish there's a bit more of that. Uh, Yes, uh, and we hope to be back with a lot more talk about in a month's time. Well, uh, thank you, Pratik, for, for, for doing this. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and I'll catch you in a month. Sure. All right. Take care. So I want to thank all our guests for joining us today and for our listeners who tuned in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to check us out on thechakkar.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and on at thechakkar. Until next time, chakkar ghumte raho.